Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Welcome to episode 85 of The Storytellers. Today, I have the incredible privilege of being with Jeff Arch, storyteller, screenwriter, novelist, and all-around pretty amazing human being. Jeff, welcome to the Storyteller's Microphone. Thank you. 85 is a good number. It is a good number. I like that. (laughs) Thank you. You know, most podcasts only last about five episodes, so I'm uh, really happy to continue doing the Storytellers, and I'm super happy to have you at the microphone. You know, this is show business. This could be your fourth episode. You're just calling it 85, so. (laughs) Nobody would know. But I try to be honest. (laughs) But by way of introduction, although you don't need one, I love that when I was doing my background research for for today, you wrote an off-Broadway play that opened and closed in the same week. You then went home and learned how to do Taekwondo and taught English electives, then did a stint at the Pentagon teaching officers, and then you wrote a quick, quirky little romantic (laughs) rom-com where nobody... Even the lovers didn't even meet till the last page of the show. And it was the Oscar award winning Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, I wish I didn't have to correct you there, but we got nominated. We didn't win an Oscar. Oh, almost as good. I know. So close. uh, Award winning in my book. And uh, (laughs) as we said, while we were in the green room, I think I've seen it 900 times. Uh And my husband has not. So we're watching it. I'd say I'd watch it with him, but um, you have to watch it with him. He's going to. He's going to soften up. I love it. Um, So, Jeff, tell us about, that's the thumbnail sketch of your career. But how did all of that happen? You know, it happens, you know, it happens differently for everybody. If you ask 100 people, you're going to get 100 different answers. But it also happens the same way for everybody. And that way is somehow. You know, you get this thing in your system and you just go, I don't know how, but somehow I'm going to do this. So um, you sort, you know, once I was left alone in New York City, I was like 14. I didn't know anything about the city. So I just decided wherever it said walk, every time I got to a corner, I would just go where the walk sign went. So you just connect up your sum house when you know exactly where you want to go. In that case, I didn't know anything. I ended up in Times Square at 14. It was not a. That was an eye opener from Harrisburg, PA. But um, but you just you if you if you know what that thing absolutely has to be, and I was one of those people that was both blessed and cursed with knowing exactly what I wanted to do, and um, I just picked one of the hardest things in the world that you can do, <clears throat> and everything I did in that was in the context of how does this connect with this thing I need to do. So. My somehow is different than everybody else's, but that's the way we all do it. When it's in you, you got to find a way. And is it the writing or is it specifically screenwriting that was in you? You know, like like everybody else in the generation, when I saw the Beatles, it was just whatever that is, you know, that's where I want to live. And for me, it was that loop between the performer and the audience. You know, you couldn't have one without the other, except a performer can always play at least you have some control because you can play an instrument and sing and everything. But just inside that loop of the complete exuberance and just 
crazy animal joy of the audience and these guys up on stage having the time of their lives creating something and we all know how beautiful that music was that was where i had to be so i didn't know anything i was nine years old you know i didn't know any people in bands or any musicians or anything or i didn't know movies were made but it gravitated toward movies and i wanted to learn how to make movies and i went to college to learn how to make movies and i did and so i was going to be a filmmaker i was going to be a cameraman at the director of photography and i got some advice from a great director of photography my hero who was gracious enough to meet an unknown kid and give me some advice and he said your cinematography is great but um you're gonna hate this and if you want to if you can write you should write so my somehow led me to an academy award winning cinematographer who was a little bit bitter about the business at that point and this was the beginning of the spec script era and he said if you can do this you should do it so you know when that's okay i'll do it as a writer <clears throat> you you talked about that energy between the um, audience and the performer what was it like to see your words you saw i mean your your off-broadway play didn't exactly work out the way you well, imagined but what is that like when you see it come to life well, first of all, the play worked. It didn't work with critics. It worked with the audiences. I was there for like 18 preview performances. We had full nights every night. And like I was 30 years old. It was my first thing in front of an audience. So I, was, I saw what worked. I saw what didn't work. It was an incredible education. But the question you're really asking, there was a day that um, I think Sleepless had been open for a week or so. And, and the producer and I went to, this is pretty cool, a theater in Westwood. Where he went, where he grew up going as a kid. He grew up out here and he went to this theater as a kid. And now he's produced a movie. And we went in and we stood in the very back. And <clears throat> it really was like a wave of laughter that started at the front of the audience and just kind of like like a physical wave just coming back and hit by the time it hit us. That was one of the most amazing experiences I ever had because there they are. I mean, when you're a writer, you're generally the difference between what the Beatles did and what I did is they were on stage. I, you know, I'm doing this for audiences. Then I've done it. I did it years ago. They're watching it now, and and I'm in a, alone in a room. So, um, but that experience of being in that theater and hearing those waves of laughter um, was just insane. That really. It's it's priceless, you know. I, I I've never had that experience, but and I certainly appreciate that um, from you. But there is something when you connect magically with readers, and you've done that again with your debut novel, Attachments. I I loved it. I cherished every single word. Tell us about Attachments. Again, you know, I think we're given. I think every writer, every storyteller, whatever it's painting, whatever. If you're a storyteller, if that's your medium. Um, if that's your form of expression, no matter what the medium is, uh, you're given at least one story. And um, believe it or not, I mean, Sleepless was that. So I was given three. And Sleepless is one of them. And the story that Attachments grew out of was another one. And something that I haven't written yet and may not write, I don't know, is the third one. But um, actually, the third one came first, Attachment came second, and Sleepless came third. But this, I, I went to a boarding school and for two years in high school, and it was, you know, the most um, dramatic. First of all, you're teenagers. There's never, you're never more dramatic than you are as a teenager. Everything is just so big. There's no little thing, you know. And somebody says something on a Friday, and you have to wait till Monday. That those two days are endless. <laughs> so, 
just how how you know compressed everything is and your emotions are so so um some a lot of really important stuff emotionally happened during those two years and my mother used to always say to me you ought to write about what happened to you at that school and you know nothing thank god nothing big like that happened to me at that school um i don't want to live a life that people write about in novels i mean you know that's stuff going out of control and everything <clears throat> but i wrote about a lot of things that i took the texture and the atmosphere and the personalities and the <clears throat> the factors of living at a boarding school when you're 14 15 years old and first love and best friends and betrayal and <clears throat> turned it into that story and all i knew i went back up there um like 17 or 18 years after I left the school, I just drove up for a day and had no agenda or anything. But I thought I'd look up this teacher and see if he was still there. And he was. And this guy was really, really, he was that teacher. He, I never had any of his classes. He was a dean by then. But he and his wife were like the mom and dad of the school. And uh, once we put together, he remembered who I was in a few seconds. And then we spent the day talking. And on the way home, I got the idea for attachments and that was 1988 and it didn't come out as a book until 2021. So those characters, that story, um, that just has never left me. So anybody that's known me since 1988 has, whether I talk to them about it or not, that story and those people were inside just dying to get out. It took a really long time. I think it's such a interestingly deeply layered story. It starts with the death, a deathbed request, if you will, and secrets are on earth. But the interplay between the friends, the uh, secret that has been kept all of these years, I think it it's masterfully written. So I'm, I'm glad it finally came out after 1988. Um, I read somewhere that you had opportunities to change the story around, but your characters wouldn't let you. Well. I noticed a pattern and when publishers and agents and stuff um, give you suggestions, it's not necessarily about how to make the book better. It's about how to make it easier for them to sell. Okay. And um, so <clears throat> what I kept hearing was, I love this book. I couldn't stop reading it. And usually I stop reading books by the page, you know, whatever, 30, 40 but I read this all the way through and I loved it, but I don't know what shelf to put it on. That's what I was hearing. It's not young adult. I don't know if it's literature. I don't know if it's this, I don't know if it's that. And so if I don't know what shelf to put it on, I don't know how to market it. So um, one publisher had the idea to make these kids college kids instead of high school kids. And somehow in her mind, that would she would know what shelf to put it on if they were college kids. And it would have been pretty lucrative. So. You know, I would have been nuts. You know, one thing is I've learned how to take feedback. I've learned how to take um, suggestions and even wild suggestions because you can't be closed. You know, and first of all, as a writer, you got to see if you can flex your muscles and make it happen. So I thought, OK, well, there's there's a pot of gold at the end of this. Let me just see if I can make them college kids. And they wouldn't do it. They just. It's the weirdest thing, and anybody who's ever a writer knows this. They just wouldn't do it. When 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 you're working with them, they take a life of their own, and when they work with you, um, 
you know, stuff comes out of their mouths that you couldn't predict. You had no idea they were going to say that. And you want to follow that for a while. And they make it easy for you. So even if you have an outline, sometimes they have their own idea. And you go, well, it's like an actor working the scene. Well, let's see what you can take it where you're thinking, you know, and then you got to bring them back sometimes. But they just refused to be college kids. <laughs> and and they would, they was just like, they sat there with their arms folded. And I'd say, I need something here. And they'd say, screw you. So, Jeff. I heard that at one point you were um, asked to reorganize your characters somewhat to see if it might be a better sell. Well, and your characters didn't want anything to do with that. Can we talk about it? That was the one where, yeah, the publisher wanted me to turn them into college kids because she said that that would make it easier for her to um, know what shelf to put the book on. Because um, according to her and lots of other people, uh, it, it, it didn't land solidly in any one niche. So is it young adult? Is it this? Is it that? And for her, somehow, it would have made a lot of sense and it would have been really lucrative um, if I made these kids college kids instead of boarding school kids. And I would try and I'd put them in situations and put them in scenes. And they just they just like just fold their arms and say, we're not having any of this. They, they wouldn't help. They, uh, nothing flowed. They wouldn't come through with their own lines. And I had, a you know. Then I had to leave them aside and like really ask why. And the thing is, the things that happen in that, in the book, you know, there's, there's a teenage pregnancy and there's a betrayal, you know, and by the time you're in college, those aren't the same size problems. Um, and the way these kids react to what happened when they were teenagers, if they were even three or four years older, there's no book there. And so, yeah, I, you'd know what shelf to put it on, but nobody would take it off the shelf because it just wouldn't be good enough. So that's a big example, but there were times when I would just need them to do something. And if it wasn't, if it was in any way manipulative, they would just like teenagers, they wouldn't do it. You know, they were a teenage kid. They would not do it. And, and like nothing, you know, nothing came. And when they're, when you're in the same direction together, it's incredible because, um, you know, there's five or six main characters that all get their own chapter and it alternates and weaves in and out. And uh, when I would get done with somebody's chapter, um, I'd say, okay, who's next? And I would just kind of like, like I'm like, they're sitting on a basketball team bench. Dude, who wants, who wants a chapter? And somebody would say, put me in coach. And, and then I'd say, okay, well, where were you last? And I'd catch up to where they were and then just continue their story and just sort of wove all those five or six stories in and out like that. When I was doing stuff that was in harmony with where they were, they were, they came up with stuff all the time. And I think you're right. I don't think people who are not writers understand that they are total entities of their own volition, do what they want, um, and totally mess with our writing heads. But I, I love the way you described it so vividly you know, that they happened. were their characters. They were there with yeah. their arms folded. You know, you see it happen in a lot of romantic comedies. A lot of the medium and not very good ones, um, even if they make a lot of money, there, there are certain things that have to happen in a romantic comedy. And, and almost <clears throat> scientifically, by this page, by, by minute 20, by minute 30, these things have to happen or it just doesn't hold together structurally. But it's really hard to come up with organic ways for those things to happen. So you do inorganic ways. You just kind of force it. And you can tell. You know, you, you can tell. And as an audience, you know, first of all, as an audience person who doesn't know anything about movies, just wants to go to the movies, romantic comedies, they work on, if there's charm, if there's two or three little funny things, 
that's the hit that they needed and they go home. But to really, really deliver on a, on a romantic comedy, uh, you have to have, really have organic reasons for things to happen. And those are few and far between, because let's face it, anybody who wants to be in love can figure it out. It's 2023. There's nothing, you know, in the way. Why are you drawn to rom-coms? <laughs> you know, um, you don't have to do any research for those. I mean, uh, I, I grew up watching a lot of them, you know, the Jack Lemmon ones and, and Tony Randall was all these things. And, you know, I even watched like what the, the Doris Day and Rock Hudson ones, but, you know, from that to Some Like It Hot, nobody was in any, except with, with the exception of Some Like It Hot, nobody's ever really in any physical danger in those things. They're not jumping off buildings. Um, it's not, you know, diseases don't happen. Um, it's just about people just tripping over their own feet and, and trying to trying to learn how to walk. And um, it was, you know, emotional territory I could deal with. And, and, you know, they're not, they're about love, even though the characters can't really actually like be looking for love, but they're just, they're about love and connection. And, and look, they usually take place in, in my practical head coming in later in life. Wait a minute. These usually take place in big cities where there's hotels nearby. We don't have to go, you know, I'm not going to write Romancing the Stone because they had to go and, and shoot in some treacherous places. <laughs> um, I don't know. They, they're just, they're closer to home. That's the short answer. Romantic comedies are closer to home. Then I'm not going to do Saving Private Ryan. We all have our niche and I love yours. And Attachments is decidedly not a rom-com. It, it so is. A, um, it's, a love, it's a love story for sure, but yeah. they got to earn it in this one. Uh, this is like after you've after you screwed up being a teenager and then if you screwed up being, you know, in your 30s and you have a chance to say, hey, I screwed up both those things. How do I go forward? That's sort of where this book is with with people that, um, you know, I guess in your mid 30s, you get a chance to stop and take a look because you've by then you've pretty much done everything the culture told you to do. If you followed the script, you've, you've gone to school, you've gone to college, you found a job, you found a partner, you got a house or anywhere on that continuum. And then you stop and take a breath and you say, okay, well now maybe I'm married to a person I'm not talking to anymore. Maybe all we do is take the kids to soccer games and do the stuff. Maybe, maybe this, maybe that, maybe this thing I did back 20 years ago, I should have done, you know, all, you don't have a chance before then to catch to stop and catch your breath. So this is about people who are going on with their lives and living on top of a deeply buried secret uh, who they've had to keep from each other, which is not a great thing for a marriage. And uh, an event happens that forces them to deal with stuff they did when they were kids. And it's pretty ugly stuff. So, uh, you know, it's a chickens come, come home to roost story. That's what, you know, every now and then, actually, it's a gift. Doesn't doesn't feel like that at the time, but you know, our past doesn't let go of us. And anybody that thinks their past does let go of them, you know, is either disillusioned or they've you know become a, a monk and they've learned how to they learn how to let go of everything. So why a novel with attachments? Why a novel in that format? <laughs> because these people didn't want it to be a movie. They, you know, there was more. I, I did write it originally as a movie and it was a great little script. And after a while of trying to sell it and getting so close so many times with some big actors and big packages, it just sort of felt like it had moved on. So I put it away. And about eight years later, I 
took it out again and just said, you know what, this is supposed to be a book. So uh, the tech, and I remember this kid in high school wrote a short story where he had little chapter names for each character. I don't even remember the story, but I just remember that, that style. And I filed that away at age 16. And so now it's 1998 and I'm deciding to write this book. And I, you know, I went, well, first of all, with a screenplay, you got like 120 pages. Stuff has to happen and it has to happen in that amount of time. And that's it. With a book, who knows? You can tell, as long as you keep it moving, it can be a thousand pages, but you don't know where it's going to end. So what I realized as a, as a, when I considered it as a novel that I already had an outline, I had already worked out a lot of story problems. So, and I knew what the end was, although it didn't end up being the end. It, it you know, changed a lot of times, but I, you know, I knew going in, this is, you know, these are um, three kids, a runaway and a teacher. And how are you going to make that happen? So I, uh, I really liked switching from screenplay to novel because it, suddenly you could just expand like crazy. You, you get to, you get to, um, I, I love our language and you get to really play with language in a, in a, in a novel. In a screenplay, the way you play with language is to shrink everything down to the least, least possible amount of words it takes to, to say something. And in a book, you still have to do that, but you just have permission to go a lot more places. So, you know, I never started out to write a novel. I was going to write movies for the rest of my life. But this thing just wanted to be a book. Well, I'm, I'm glad it is a book. And now you have a new project, Tiny Houses. Tell us about that. That's another thing that I couldn't write as a movie and it decided it wanted to be a series. So it's going to be a, a streaming TV series. Um, I don't know if it's going to be one of those where you really have to wait a week or whether it's just going to dump. We, we don't have a producer for it yet because I haven't finished it yet, but I'm writing it all on spec. Um, I'm four episodes into an eight episode first season. It is a romantic comedy and it's, um, it's funnier and more romantic than I've ever had a chance to, to do because just because of the way it's set up. But instead of sleepless where these people don't know each other till the very end uh, and attachments, I mean, in, in tiny houses, they knew themselves almost before they were born. So they, they, um, <clears throat> their, their mothers were best friends. They were conceived on the same night during a lightning storm. They were delivered on the same day with the, at the same exact time of day. So their mothers carried them together and they raised them together. And so they've been together since before they knew it, but they still can't figure out how to be together. And that goes on for the whole story. It takes place on an island off Maine. And um, I rented a cottage there in this little island off Maine for three summers. And I got all the material I needed uh, just from spending, you know, three or four months on this island with the characters that live there. So I had a, I had a blast. It's and this is, this is a romantic comedy that absolutely follows. If you guys saw that, what a recipe is for a romantic comedy, it's there. It's underneath everything. The same way a recipe for a chocolate cake is. But if you, um, <clears throat> I took every single one of those steps, and instead of what I did with Sleepless, which was say screw you to every one of those steps, I decided this time I'm going to follow them to a T. But I'm going to do it like with a vengeance and really have fun with the conventional things that have to happen in a romantic comedy. But these characters are so alive, and um, they're they're just so much fun to be with, and 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 the conflicts that happen and just so you 
the subtitle for it is The Ballad of Amy and Mike. So these two characters are named Amy and Mike, and you're going to ache for them when they're not together, and you're going to ache for them when they are together. It's just going to be one of those things where they cannot say what they really mean, and, 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 but they're so close. They're so close they can think each other's thoughts, but they can't make the words come out that they really mean. Well, clearly their stars are aligned and sometimes that isn't enough, but um, I can't wait to meet Amy and Mike. Oh my and God, so much fun. I can't wait to unleash them. Um, as soon as I finish the screenplay for Attachments, I'm going right into that and I'm gonna finish Tiny Houses. And um, that's a lot of work. That's another year or two of work, so. Uh, wait, 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 the screenplay for Attachments. Yeah, I'm doing that right now. Here's, here's my notes. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing the screenplay for attachments, which is a whole different approach than writing the book was. Because again, now I have to pull out of the five points of view and it has to be from one character's point of view as if everything in the story is happening to him instead of having, having it happen to five or six different people and getting how they process things. It's all gonna go through one character and that's a really interesting perspective shift. And um, I sit here when I say these notes, I literally sit in longhand and write out questions like, how am I going to solve this? How am I going to solve that? Because how do you tell what too many people do wrong when they adapt a book is they try and film the book. And um, <clears throat> this isn't the case. What I'm trying to do is make a movie out of the same story that I wrote a book from. So you got to lift the story out, change the perspective of it, and then tell the same story with the same characters, but all from one person's point of view. And how does, so I can only have scenes in it that affect him, whether he's in them or not. So there's a lot of, that right away tells you there's a lot of stuff that can't go in. And so your, your signposts are there, but uh, it's been fun so far. It's been frustrating, but it's been fun. Jeff, I, I thank you for being on the Storytellers. I thank you for Sleepless. I can't wait to eat, meet uh, Amy and Mike, right? Amy and Mike, the ballad Amy of Amy. and Mike. And, uh, Thank you for being a guest. The long-awaited interview we had with this was, um, we knew about this. Remember when March was a really long time away? And it was so far away. It was, it was a long time ago. And I want you back um, when the screenplay is done, when Tiny Houses is out. And this has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers with Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Take care. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon. <laughs>